Well, it's my pleasure to be here. Last time I spoke, I spoke as a guest. Um, we were in a bit of a transition time and we weren't sure where God was leading us, but I loved it so much and um, God really spoke to us that we're now at Colour Monday night and we're actually part of the, the house. So I come not as a guest, but um, as part of the family. So I'm really excited and blessed to have this opportunity to share what God's laid on my heart. Um, before I do, I just want to share, I just had a picture in the, um, in the prayer time before the service and, I saw, and we've kind of touched on it today, but I saw this massive boulder, um, massive rock in front of people, like this massive obstacle and there were people that were like banging their heads against it and trying to push it out the way and nothing was seeming to, um, to move it. And then I heard the father say, all you need to do is simply speak to her and it will be removed. And he led me to the scripture from Mark that says, Mark 11, um, verse 25. It says, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And um, I just felt God say, if there's something standing that's been this massive thing that you simply need to speak to it in his name, that we have authority in the name of Jesus and it will be removed. Um, so I just want to um, pray. Father, I just thank you that you're doing something, that you're doing something new in this house. Father, that um, you're stirring something, you're stirring faith. And I just see this army rising, this army of warriors rising in, um, in faith that we might say to the, um, the mountain, be removed, and it would be removed. So, Father, I just thank you for your word today. Father, I thank you that it does not return void, but it does accomplish that for which you sent it. And so, Father, would we hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying today, that our hearts might be changed and transformed in your name. Amen. Um, so the, um, the picture or the verse that God um, laid on my heart today, the chapter is actually from Nehemiah, but I want to start in Ecclesiastes, um, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1, because it says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And verse 3, a time to tear down and a time to build. And I really believe that as a church that we are in a season of building, that it's God saying it's time to build again. It's time to rebuild. And just like Nehemiah gathered up um, a team of workers to start building, I really believe that God is actually gathering. He's bringing in people because he wants us to start building. And he's bringing in workers to start working and to start building. So what are we called to build? Um, 1 Corinthians 3 says that we're co-workers with Christ. Um, and together we're called to build the kingdom of God. As a church, um, corporately, but also individually in our own lives and callings, um, there's a corporate call to build. I know Calamanda's got a great vision to see transformation of this community. And, um, and we're called to build that, but there's also a personal call. You have a personal call on your life. And growing up, I actually imagined myself when I was going to be older that I was going to be a builder. I could see myself in tank tops and big muscles and I was building. And um, as a little kid, I actually really wanted to be a guy. Like I was so, um, I used to wear tank tops and sometimes no tops. And I knew that one day would come the time when I'd have to start wearing tops. And I was quite sad about that. I even tried to wean like a guy, which wasn't very um, successful. Um, and I just, I just wanted, I don't know, I think I just want to be like my dad. But at 13, God changed the vision. <laughs> <laughs> 
I did. I remember just following him around, a little tomboy, climbed trees but then couldn't get down and um, he needed to rescue me. But anyway, at 13, God changed it from building buildings to building lives and um, he had, I had a real sense of his call to um, build his kingdom, to build, um, to build lives and to make a difference and regardless of the cost. Now, your childhood may be different to me you may have had a different calling different dream and that's okay but the point is that God all has a call in our lives to build his kingdom and to see lives transform but it takes soft hearts and it takes strong hands soft hearts that have a heart for God and actually receive the burden that he's got on his heart um, but also strong hands that keep building despite the obstacles, despite the setbacks. Um, and Nehemiah was such a man as this. He, his story started with a soft heart, a heart for God, but a heart that was burdened by the things that God was burdened by. And he was an ordinary man. I just want to give you a bit of back, um, background to Nehemiah. He was an ordinary man. He was a Jew, but he worked in the palace as a servant to the king, King Xerxes of Persia. And his job particularly was to be a cupbearer, which meant that he had to test the wine of the king to ensure that it wasn't poison. Too bad for him if it was, but that was his job. And one day, Nehemiah's brother Hananiah and his friends came to visit from Judah. Um, came to visit Nehemiah and Nehemiah asked, how's Jerusalem going? How's the Jews going? See, in um, uh, 586 BC, the Babylonians had captured all the Jews. Um, they were in exile and everything had been destroyed. But under the Persians, the Persians let the um, Jews, a, a small portion of them, go back to start rebuilding. And they managed to build the temple, but they had obstacles and setback and the walls and the gates were never finished. So Nehemiah asked, so how's everything going now? And he heard that things were going terrible, that the walls had been torn down, they were a mess, the gates burnt, and the Jews were in great trouble and disgrace. We read about that in Nehemiah 1. And without walls, it meant that the Jews were open to ridicule and attack. They were no longer safe. And because the Jews were God's people, God was no longer glorified because the Jews were this weak group mess and, um, and God was no longer glorified. So when Nehemiah heard this, his heart sank. And if we look at verse 4 of Nehemiah 1, it says that he sat down and he wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. He started with a soft heart. He received a burden in that time to rebuild the walls. And he picked up God's heart for that place. But he didn't just leave it there. Yes, he sat down and wept. He knelt down and prayed. But then he stood up and he acted. And we heard a wonderful testimony last week from Jess, who, who like Nehemiah, received a burden to do something. She, re she had a soft heart, a heart after God, and she received a burden. And she prayed, but it didn't stay there. She then stood up and she acted and she did something about it. And God is calling us not just to... Uh, sit down and weep he wants us to and he wants us to pray but he also wants us to stand up and act and so when the king asked what was wrong the king was so close to Nehemiah that he noticed that Nehemiah was downcast and so he asked Nehemiah what's wrong why are you so sad and Nehemiah told him of the situation and then boldly asked the king for permission to go and rebuild the walls and then also to ask for protection and um, provision and then Nehemiah 
was given the king's favor, he gathered up a team. And in chapter 2, verse 18, it says, And together they strengthened their hands for this good work, to build the walls and gates one again, once again. So he had a strong hands and he had a soft heart. And so with the king's protection and favor and a strong team, you would think that all would be fine, that they would go out and they would do their job and all would be good. And in chapter 3, they started well. But by chapter 4 and 6, they encountered opposition to rebuilding. Worsby, who writes a brilliant commentary on Nehemiah, he says that when you start building, you will soon start battling. See, the enemy doesn't care if you aren't a threat. He doesn't care if you're lazy or indifferent or don't care and you're about building your own life and your own world. But he begins to get quite nervous and he is concerned by a soft heart, a heart after God and strong hands that want to build God's kingdom. And so what he does is he wants to bring the opposite. He actually wants to bring a hard heart and soft hands, hands that give up, weak hands. And so when we come to Nehemiah chapter um, 6, verse 9, we actually see the purpose of the opposition. We see the purpose of the enemy. It says in verse 9 that they, the enemy, were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. And so Nehemiah prayed, now strengthen my hands. And do you know, that despite the setbacks, the Lord did that. And in 52 days, they actually persisted and overcame and miraculously built the walls. Um, and so today my message is strengthen your hands to finish building. And I want to start in chapter 6 and look at some of the tactics that the enemy used against Nehemiah to weaken his hands and how he can do the same to us. But how Nehemiah overcame and strengthened his hands and finished building. Um, 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, um, So that Satan will not outsmart us, we are familiar with his evil schemes. So we don't go and study, we don't obsess with the enemy, we don't obsess with his works, but we're to be familiar with ha- what he does so that we can overcome and so that he won't outsmart us. So I want to look at four schemes that he uses today um, and he still uses today. He's not very creative. He's not very clever. So he uses the same things over and over again. And if we're aware of them, then we can come against them. So we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 6. It says, When the word came to Sanabalt and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though that up to that time I had still not set the doors in the gates. Sambala and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. So the first scheme I want to look at today, the first way that the enemy tried to come and weaken their hands was through distraction. And he uses the same with us today. It's such a subtle tool, um, but he tried to use it to weaken their hands and to stop them from rebuilding. Distraction comes from the Latin word meaning to pull apart. And it's something that pulls your attention away from something. It's sometimes distractions can actually be good, but sometimes they actually can cause harm, like they did for Nehemiah. And I remember um, back in the day when I was dating Dave, um, I, was, I was at work and um, 
I hadn't really slept the night before and I'd finished work and I was going um, over to his house to see him. So I was quite distracted. I was distracted by love, but I was distracted by lack of sleep. And um, like shared about his speeding um, speeding issues last week where he was, he was assured that he wasn't speeding. I was completely unaware that I was speeding in a 50 zone, had no idea of, of what I was doing. Do you know when you have those moments that you drive somewhere and you don't remember how you get there? Yeah, no, some of you like, no, well, that was me. I had no idea that I was where I was driving, what I was doing. I was focused that you know, it was very scary looking back now, but it gets worse, Steve, it gets worse. So I had no idea of the speed limit I was doing, I was distracted, but what I failed to realise was there was a police officer standing in the middle of the road with his hand out telling me to stop, and it wasn't until I got to the last few metres that I saw him, slammed on my brakes, came to a screeching halt, managed to swerve around him, and um, <laughs> I was a shaky mess at that point. And he came and knocked on my door and my wound up the, the window and I burst into tears. Tears are a great thing when you get caught by the police. Anyway, I must say he was very, very gracious or he was in complete shock that I nearly run him over, I don't know. But he knocked down my kilometres to a few little bits so I didn't have to pay a $600 fine, but only half of that. And, um, and he, he was safe. And I got to Dave's that place and I was completely... Oh, it was a mess. I was a mess. And I um, learnt that day, don't ever drive distracted because it can be harmful. And that was with Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he, he, those distractions, they tried to get him to come away. And it may have seemed like a good idea. It may have seemed that, hey, this would actually be a good idea if we actually go and meet um, the enemies because maybe we can sort out this whole mess and maybe we can stop all this opposition but he discerned that they were actually plotting to harm them. And um, so I want to look at how did Nehemiah overcome distraction? The first way was that he had discernment, which really came out of prayer. He was a man of prayer and he had discernment that they were actually plotting to harm him. See, sometimes distraction isn't as obvious as good and bad. Sometimes it's actually between good and great. Um, as I said, it may seem like a good idea to meet, but it wasn't. And we need to be able to discern between distractions and divine interruptions. What I mean by that is if you read about the Good Samaritan story, that may have looked like a distraction. You know, it's inconvenient to kind of go off my journey and to help this man who needed help. But actually it was a divine interruption and it was necessary. And there's going to be moments that we um, need to come away from what we're doing to go and help. But then directly after that is the story of Mary and Martha. And we know that story well. Jesus comes for dinner and uh, Mary sits at his feet and listens to him speak. And Martha's getting really annoyed that her sister's not helping. And Jesus says, Martha, why are you distracted and worried about so many things? Only one's needed. See, Martha was doing some good things. There's nothing wrong with getting dinner ready, especially when you've got 14 guys coming to um, dinner. Um, but it wasn't the greatest thing. In that moment, Jesus was saying, actually, I just want you to sit and I want you to listen. And we really need to discern between distractions and um, divine interruptions. Because you know what? Satan would love for us to get so busy doing good things that we actually become weak and ineffective and we actually don't end up building the right wall. We're actually building the wrong wall. 
um, the work that God actually called us to do. So guard against distractions. But the other way he overcame distraction was he had a fixed purpose. He actually knew what he was called to do. He said, why should I come down to you? I am doing a great work. Wouldn't you love to be able to use that line sometimes? You know, you're watching TV and your spouse calls you or your children call you. I will not come. I am doing a great work. But can I assure you that Netflix and Facebook and all those things aren't actually great works. Um, (laughs) They're actually distractions. But sometimes we actually need to learn the hardest two-letter word there is to say, like Nehemiah did, and that's no. See, Jesus himself didn't say yes to everything. Um, He was ministering um, to great crowds, and then he would slip away and spend time with his father. It wasn't because the crowds had left. They were still there waiting. They still wanted him. But if we say yes to everything, then we're not going to be able to... um, do anything really well and so we really need to know in this season what is my purpose what are you actually calling and then discern you know between distractions and divine interruptions are there distractions that have come you know there might even be in our minds often we get bombarded with worries and with all these things but they're actually distracting us and what is that you need to discern today. The second scheme that the enemy tried to weaken his hands and really to harden his heart was defamation, which actually means to slander or to, um, to gossip. And so from verse 5 we read, Then the fifth time Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message. So he's persistent. He was determined to bring him away from his work. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, so in other words, there's a rumour, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah already. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. And I sent him this reply. I love this. Nothing like what you were saying is happening. You were just making it up out of your head. Do you know there's a story of three pastors and um, they had been talking to their congregations about being um, vulnerable and confessing their sins before one another. And they thought, you know what, if we're telling our congregation to do it, we really should probably do it ourselves. So they agreed to meet together and they were going to confess the deepest, darkest secrets of their life. Um, and the first pastor bravely shared, and he said, I'd like to confess my um, sin, uh, my problem of gambling. I've actually been taking a portion of the tithes each week, and I've been using it to actually gamble. And um, I'd like to just get that off my, um, my chest today. The second pastor um, then said, well, I'd like to share the problem I have with plagiarism. None of the sermons I've been preaching for the last 10 years are actually my own. They're actually all plagiarised from other people. And um, oh, it feels so good to get that off my chest. And then the third pastor shared and said, well, my problem is actually gossip and I just can't keep anything to myself. <laughs> and you know what? It can be a bit like that. You know, we... We're going to build God's kingdom and we encounter gossip. We encounter defamation or slander. And I love what Nehemiah did to overcome it. Because really, it was a distraction. 
So sometimes we, these reports and rumours come, but really we've got to recognise them for what they are. They're actually distractions to try and weaken our hands, harden our hearts and intimidate us so that we don't finish the work that God's called us to. And I love Nehemiah's response. He says, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it all up out of your head. And we need to say that to some people, maybe not as bluntly, but we, some, we need to shut down some things rather than engage with it and justify. Um, but then he prayed and he left it with God and asked God to sort it out. Now, his prayer was basically, smite them, Lord, get them back. And we've got to remember that he actually lived in the Old Testament. We now live in the New Testament. And the Bible actually says we're to bless our enemies, not smite them, Lord. But God has, God has the justice. God, God will look after your reputation. You don't need to worry. You just keep your heart right and leave it to God. Um, because we can get so caught up sometimes putting out all these spot fires but they're just wearing us out and um, we just need to leave it with God. The third way the enemy tried to come was through dread or intimidation and fear. The enemy, enemy constantly tried to intimidate them with threats. Um, and in Nehemiah 4, the enemy was coming from every direction. Um, for chapter, chapter 4, verse 12, it says that 10 times they said to them, Wherever you turn, we will attack. And the strength of the labourers were giving out. And it led to despair where they said, we can't build this wall anymore. And then again in chapter 6 of Nehemiah, verse 9, it says, They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. And then we go on to verse 10 where it talks about the enemy tried to, again, by hiring a friend of Nehemiah's to say attack was coming to get Nehemiah to run away and hide in the temple. But Nehemiah knew that if he hid in the temple, he would actually be sinning because he wasn't to use the temple for personal gain, but only a place of prayer. And... Um, then it goes in verse 12, I realise, again discernment, that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat, the enemy, had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Satan loves to hire his workers to intimidate us and to get us to run in fear to weaken our hands and to stop the work and to harden our hearts. And sometimes it can feel like these attacks are coming from every direction. Um, recently when I was here, I spoke about stepping into new things. But I said, beware of the ants. Beware of those things that are against new things. And often when we step into new places or we, we start building, then God, um, we find that we start um, finding battles and we find opposition. And that happened for our family. We just came under such attack from all sides of, you know, all directions. And I began to feel actually quite discouraged and intimidated. And I had a friend call up and she said, I've just been praying for you guys. I actually feel like you are really under attack. So that night I thought I really need to spend some time in prayer. So I started praying and God um, led me to this verse that's um, in Deuteronomy 28.7 and I feel to actually share this with some people today that maybe feel also like this. 
It says that the Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from seven. And when we know that God is for us, then we know no one can be against us. We actually know that, you know, um, that he is surrounding us. I love that song, um, Fight My Battles. And there's a line in there that says, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And it may look like we're surrounded. It may look, that's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants to impart intimidation and fear because we're focusing on um, on the enemy. But God actually says, look up and actually see, like Elijah, see all the angels that are with you, the army that's with you. Can you not see that there's more um, with us than those against us? And sometimes the enemy will try and make himself bigger than he actually is. That, but we've got to remember that there is more with us than those against us and that we have authority in Jesus, that we don't need to be afraid, but we need to know our God. When we're intimate with God, we won't be intimidated by man. Um, Corey Turner said that last week at church and it just really struck me um, that when we're intimate with God, we won't be intimidated by man. And that's exactly what Nehemiah said to his people in chapter 4. Verse 14, he said, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And then he told them to um, be prepared. Have a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. So they weren't to stop working, but they were to be prepared. They would be on guard and ready. So how did he overcome intimidation? He remembered, he pondered, he remembered who his God was and who his God is and therefore who his God would be. Um, and he prepared, he prepared to fight. So the question really today is what do you need to fight for rather than flee from? So we don't fight with natural weapons, we fight with the spiritual weapons. And Ephesians 6 says that our, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And we need to remember that we don't fight alone, that God is the one that fights our battles and we need to simply stand firm and, um, and fight with the word of God and actually say, well, actually, no, this is what God said. We don't need to listen to the lies. So often intimidation comes in form of lies. But we actually need to stand up on the word of God and say, this is who our God is. The last way that the enemy in chapter 6 tried to, in, um, to come against him was through discouragement. And I want to look at the um, chapter 6 verse 9 in the NLT version. It says, they were trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. I love that. They tried to discourage, so I was determined even more. I'm going to give it all I have. I'm not going to come under that spirit. Um, and the word discourage is actually the same word for weaken. So the NIV actually uses the word weak. They tried to weaken our hands. NLT says they tried to discourage. But really it's the same. When um, we come under discourage, it tries to weaken us. But when we're weak, when we're tired, when we're weary, that's when we're vulnerable to discouragement. And the Jews were exactly in that place. And in chapter 4, um, they came under incredible discouragement. 
um, the, the enemy tried to ridicule them, criticize them, made fun of their efforts. Who do you think you are? You really think you can make that wool? Have you seen how much rubble there is? Have you seen how much rubbish there is? Have you seen what a mess everything is? Do you really think you can do something with this? Um, and he tried to get the people worn down and overwhelmed. And they managed, in the midst of all that, they managed to get the wall to half its height. But shortly after that, the people in Judah, in verse 10, said, the strength of the labourers is giving out. There is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. And the rubble became their discouragement, the obstacles, um, and it led to their despair. We can't do this anymore. Did we all get discouraged? There will always be obstacles. There will always be setbacks. There is always so much work to do. Um, and that can really get us down. Um, we get criticised or, or, or we hear a, like a little you know, criticism and that's the thing that we focus on. Comparison is another one that really discourages us. Can you imagine if they were thinking, oh, we're doing such a good job here and they looked over to their neighbours and they're like, oh, whoa, it's so much bigger than mine. How did you get all those fancy bricks? Look at mine. And discouragement comes when we begin to compare. So how did Nehemiah begin to overcome? The first way is he just persevered. I love that. I was discouraged, so I continued with even greater determination. Nehemiah just persevered because he knew his purpose. He knew that he was doing a great work. But he also prayed, Lord, strengthen my hands, which really means encourage me, Lord. And often he would remind himself, I am doing a great work. So we need to remind ourselves that we are doing a great work. The enemy would love to discourage and go, what you're doing doesn't matter. What you're doing doesn't make a difference. Do you think actually anyone cares you know, do you think people actually see you down the back serving coffee? Do you think people see you, you know, doing the kids or, or whatever it is? But God sees. He sees. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. We actually need to learn to listen to the words of our God. Um, because there's so, so much will bring you down. But Nehemiah encouraged himself in the Lord. And David, King David, he faced discouragement. And I love what it says of King David. He said, I encourage or I strengthen myself in the Lord. And that's really our key. So we have a choice whether we look at the obstacles or the rubble or we look at the opportunity and we look at the great wall that God has said that he's going to build through us. We need to shift. We need to look up. We need to focus on what God is actually saying and to remember our God um, the other thing we need to do is encourage one another. Hebrews 10 says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another even more as the end comes. So let's get behind people and let's say, well done, good job, thank you. Um, because people are doing their best and the enemy does plenty to discourage. Um, we don't need to get, need to be joining him in that. So in conclusion, how did Nehemiah strengthen his hands? And if I can have the worship team, that would be great. The first one was prayer. He was a man of prayer. The book of Nehemiah begins with prayer and it ends with prayer. And he prayed, Lord, strengthen my hands. We need to be people of prayer. Purpose. He had a clear purpose and vision. Um, 
It says people will perish without a vision. We need to know what is it you're calling me to do. He had perfect joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says that the joy of the Lord was his strength. And joy is not the absence of something. It's not the absence of obstacles or the absence of this and then I'll have joy. It's actually the presence of someone. It's actually the presence of Jesus. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And Psalm 16 says that in his presence we have fullness of joy. He had partnership. He didn't do it alone and nor can we. He worked as a team. He pondered. He remembered. Don't be afraid. Remember how amazing our God is. He was prepared. He was aware of the enemy, but he was also prepared with tools and weapons. And he persevered despite the problems. He refused to quit. And God had given him that, those strong hands to not give up. That when he faced obstacles, that he would keep building, that he wouldn't come away from what he was called to do. And I believe that there's some people here that need their hearts and their hands strengthened today. That need their hearts softened today. So often we start like Nehemiah and we have such a vision and such a call and such a soft heart and strong hands, yet we face obstacles and we face oppositions. So the longer you've been a Christian, the harder it can get. And we come against so many things that try and weaken our hands. But the Lord, I feel like, is coming today to say, hey, I want to come and strengthen hands today. I want to come and strengthen you that are weary today. So I see that even for Kalamunda that, you know, got you had a call to start building. We've had a call, but the opposition's come and obstacles have come. And the enemy, the purpose of the enemy has really been to try and weaken hands and actually harden hearts. But I really see that God is just bringing strength today and he has been doing that. He's been strengthening hearts. He's been awakening our hearts again. And how do we know when we have a hard heart or weak hands? It can be very subtle, but often it's where we begin to hear complaint or criticism or indifference where I just don't care anymore. And these are symptoms that, hey, I need God to come. I need him to strengthen me. Or we just become discouraged or despondent. And I really feel like even for some, you've just faced disappointments, but the Lord just wants to come and bring hope, to renew hope again, to say, hey, I'm coming to bring hope and I want to come and strengthen. Um, why? Why Why should we keep building? I love what John 17, 4 says. It says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you called me to do. And that's why Nehemiah built. He didn't build so he can be glorified. He built so God could be glorified. And he knew that if he finished it, God would be glorified. And so in 52 days, he completed the wall. And the enemy was terrified. They lost all their self-confidence because they recognised that God had been with them building and God is with us building. You know, we're individually we're called to build. As a church, we're called to build. But God is with, it, with us building. And it says that unless the Lord builds his house, we labour in vain. And God wants to not us to strive and do things in our own strength, but I just see him renewing strength today, um, giving us supernatural strength, his strength to finish the race. So I want to pray. I'm going to play a song today called Nehemiah, Stand Strong. 